Welcome to The Velocity Factor, a podcast about leadership, change, and growth. I'm Ben Strout, President and Chief Growth Architect at Velocity Strategy Solutions, an on-demand next-generation management consulting firm dedicated to helping leaders and organizations design, develop, and deploy smarter growth strategies. Each week, my co-host and I explore the questions, challenges, and obstacles every leader faces when you push beyond business as usual and reach for breakthrough results. It's raw, unfiltered, and exactly what you need to find the confidence, clarity, and conviction to step into your preferred future. Subscribe to email updates at thevelocityfactor.com. Now let's do this together. Welcome back, Daniel. We've got, uh, I think, in a very important conversation that we need to have that is something that is uh, a, just a blind spot at the executive table, and that is confirmation bias. We love to find information that validates that what we think is true is actually true. And I think this is really interesting uh, and challenging in a time where we're being asked to operate in an environment where we've never been before. And what's, what's most important about that is for an executive, uh, it, it's a really tough spot to be. What puts you in that role? What got you the visibility to be able to sit in that leadership seat uh, is your past success. And that success happened because it was an environment that you excelled in. And when I say environment, you had people around you, you had products and services, you had the, you know, the, the market was responding to what you were, what you were doing. And in the midst of that, people looked at what you were doing and they said, wow, uh, you're successful and you continue to grow in your influence until you end up at the executive table. So all of a sudden you get there and you realize that all of the rules have changed, but you're also least the least likely to be connected with that change in the marketplace. So you tend to, when you see things, particularly new things, you tend to see, say or experience things with phrases like, I know what the numbers say, but that's not my experience. <laughs> I've seen this before, and this is what you should do. And the problem is, is that we're in an environment that nobody's been in before. And unless you were alive in 1918 and led through the Spanish flu, you probably have no idea what it's like to recover, to endure a pandemic and recover a business uh, following a pandemic, particularly one that might have been just decimated uh, by some of the constraints and realities that came as a result of it. So in your work, Daniel, particularly your adaptive work with leaders, am I spot on in saying that confirmation bias is a thing? And how is it that it persists as a thing? And even though we can cognitively say, you know what, we've never been here before, but we kind of default in our, in our kind of unconscious mind to relating what we're seeing to our past success even though that may not be what's necessary or right or even true anymore looking forward. How, what, what do you see and how do you counsel leaders through that? Well, the first thing is just for, for us to own that confirmation bias is a thing. I mean, there's, there's a world of, of facts and then there's the world of that confirms our beliefs. And typically we see what confirms our beliefs. And it's that human tendency to, to seek out, to pursue 
information and knowledge and facts that support our existing beliefs. And this is a problem for leaders. And critical to this is the need for teams and feedback and to be open to feedback and to be rubbing shoulders and networking and friending with leaders who see patterns that we don't see. Um, And so we need to interrogate our assumptions and have relationships that indict, indict our assumptions. And we typically don't like to be interrogated or indicted. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, typically in my relationships, um, I'm not always actively seeking out interrogation and indictment, but that's what's necessary. I don't know. That's when the part of me that, that thinks I should have, should have been a litigator really comes out because I actually love the argumentation. Um, and, uh, and that you, you do, Ben, you, you, you love it. Uh, and so I've, I've noticed that, uh, from day one, I was like, wow, he really responds to pushback and challenge and, um, you know, push back on me. And, you know, it's part of your personality. Some, some leaders that challenge the process, they love to be challenged and, you know, fundamental, it, it a leader should be able to say, when was the last time someone got in your face? When was the last time someone just called out crap in a meeting? When was the last time someone challenged you? Um, and if you if you can't look back more than a few days and you haven't experienced some, some friction that led to some maybe fusion with a, a new idea or a new approach or a different perspective, um, you've got a big problem in your organization. Um, now... I would say equally, not only within your organization, when was the last time you rubbed shoulders with someone that got in your grill, that challenged you? Um, and so it's, it's we need those relationships within our organization. We need those relationships outside our organization. And I'm not just talking about like consultants. I'm just talking about your network, your sphere of influence. Um, we need people, men and women outside our sphere that are seeing patterns and trends and challenging us with those patterns and trends that are taking place. Now, this past year, there's been a massive shift and acceleration um, of patterns and trends in culture, um, in learning, in business, in digital, um, that are exciting. But many people would rather put their head in the sand than to face um, that change. I, I, I love your phrase around interrogate our assumptions. I mean, this is why... Uh, I spend so much time with leaders, uh, particularly at the, um, you know, particularly talking about data, uh, because data uh, affords you uh, a an objective feedback mechanism by which you can challenge or validate your assumptions. Uh, and I and I I just fundamentally believe it's it's just in my nature that. You know, I may think I know something, but I need to I need I need to validate that and I need to consistently validate that. What I also have learned as being an external processor is that not everybody thinks like that. So sometimes when I try to think out loud, people take it as like I've already arrived at my conclusion. Um, and, and that's not it at all. It's just like I want to vigorously defend a position that I believe to be true. But at the point in which somebody else can show me where there's a flaw or a crack in that um, belief or assertion, then I'm willing to adapt through that. 
And, uh, and so I certainly think it's personality types and why that, why that happens. Um, certainly not everybody, uh, you know, thinks or interacts with the world in the same way I do, but, but it's also something missing that's become very apparent in the leadership table. And I, and I, I wonder if you see it too. It's a lack of the skill of critical thinking. And, and I, it's something I'm very concerned about in our just culture at large, but particularly our business culture. What I think has really happened, yes, there's fear. Yes, there's uncertainty. Yes, there's a lack of variables. But we have, we have really atrophied at the leadership table in our ability to think critically about what's happening. And what I mean by that is, you know, really confronting new ideas, really challenging what we believe to be immovable objects, and have the openness and willingness and humility to arrive at new conclusions. So when you, you know, I, I like you, I, I watch news and listen to news and read news across the spectrum because I'm curious, but it's like all of them get the same talking points in the morning and they all say the same thing, just a slight variance of it, right? So we're institutionalized to hear the same thing over and over again. It's almost like a hypnotic effect. When you look at business books, they're almost, it's all an echo chamber. Um, and I, I love my friends in publishing, but, but the desire to mitigate risk into what's going to sell and what's not means that we diminish the idea of introducing a new idea into the equation because we don't know how it's going to be received or it may be rejected entirely. Uh, and, uh, you know, there've been quite a few successes in the past based on ideas that uh, really created controversy uh, because they asked us to, to look at things in a you know, in a new way. And so that loss of critical thinking, that loss of that skill to look at something and arrive at a new conclusion, um, I think is really holding innovation back within organizations uh, because leaders are listening to the same things that are reinforcing their ideas. They're surrounding themselves with people who, um, you know, who are reinforcing those ideas and they are completely insulating themselves from anything and anyone that might lead them to a new conclusion. And I don't think it's happening consciously, but I do think it's a real risk uh, that we need to look at. So I see this in how we, uh, the lack of um, uh, people coming on, moving on and coming off of senior leadership teams. Uh, there's a, a strong implicit value in, I've, my, I've had my team for 10 or 20 or 30 years. And I think that's a real risk uh, in today's time, because if you're not exposing yourself to new ideas and new thinking, you're going to become stale. And I don't care how successful you, know, you think you are um, or how good you think your ideas are. Uh, there's a good chance that if you're not spending time with people who think differently, um, see differently than you do, then there's no way for you to understand the compare and the contrast. So while I love vigorous discussion, I love vigorous debate, I love a good argument. Um, it's good for the soul as far as I'm concerned. Um, I, I fear that our lack of muscle in that area is leading us to just kind of default back into, well, this is what we've always done and this is what we've always seen. And so this is what we need to do, which is rejecting data. It's rejecting systems. It's it's limiting our capacity to analyze market trends and variability. It's, it's diminishing our energy around looking at leading indicators 
um, as as predictors of what's going to happen and the very volatility on the lagging indicator side. So I don't know when when you're working with leaders, Daniel. It, it, am I am I off base on this critical thinking? No, it's, observation. It's pretty. Uh, it, I didn't know you were going to go there today. I uh, it's it's one of the top skills. So if you look at any like. Uh, people skills list and you look at lists from 2000, 2005, 2010, 2015, 2020, critical thinking is now in the top three uh, on most lists. Uh, wow. Number one is typically um, complex problem solving, the ability just to wade into complexity um, and solve problems um, and critical thinking and creativity um, over, over technical skills. You know, technical skills in 2015 were at the top. Um, and critical thinking is just a part of strategic thinking. You know, it's the ability to, you know, remember what has been done, where where's our business come from. Um, you need to understand, have a core understanding of, of just the business and how business works and how organizations make money, which unfortunately, you know, you look at the education system and it's so segregated and atomistic and it many people lack the ability just to understand the whole. Um, so with a lot of companies, we're just going, hey, what's your business? When you onboard someone, can you break down your core value proposition and the core functions of your business? And do you require people to be able to recall, understand, and then apply to the whole to their part, whether their part is HR, sales, marketing, project management, you know, mechan- whatever it may be. Um, this is a basic skill that um, we're seeing a lot of traction and just going, okay. And it starts with the leadership, the, the CEO. Hey, can you articulate the whole and how it applies to the parts in a, in a simple way? Um, and so the ability to understand the big picture um, and then keep up with current and possible future practices and trends within the organization and that your competitors are bringing and in the marketplace um, is absolutely critical. And so one just simple tactic um, in listening would be just arguing like you're right, but listening like you're wrong. Um, Ooh, I love that, man. I love that. So when we're, we're, we're collaborating, because Ben, no one person has the intelligence to solve the problems that are before us. And so we need collaborative critical thinking, and we need continuous critical thinking. So we, we need one another in our thinking. And so we need to continually refine our ability to think critically about our work, but we need to learn how to do that with others. And then we need to do that in a constructive manner. And so unfortunately, many of the people that can start critical thinking aren't the best people to drive it to business insights and solutions. And so using their knowledge and connecting it with business drivers and strategies and tactics that play out in bringing solutions for the customers. I, I absolutely love that. Arguing like you're right, listen like you're wrong. I, I think that's that's something that uh, we can all you know in, incorporate. I, you know, when I, I think about I think about the difference between uh, like just just discipline and process like there's very you know do i have steps to follow or are there disciplines that that i adapt to and i, I put it in the running context because you know I'm, I'm a runner and and even though i might run this you know a certain distance i'm constantly adapting 
to environment, uh, to, you know, if I'm heading into an intersection and I need to, to pause while I let a car kind of come through that intersection, or if I feel that, you know, my heart rate's up too high and I need to come back down or I need to push myself a little more uh, because the, you know, the times, the, the, you know, my, my pace isn't where it needs to be. I'm constantly adapting to new information, but it doesn't mean it's, it, it, it doesn't mean that I'm not disciplined about my run, my running. And so discipline doesn't mean that you do it the same way every single time. Discipline means that you're just focused and moving in a particular direction. Same thing with driving, right? We're constantly getting feedback from other drivers, from the people in front of us, from the gauges, uh, you know, that, that are in in front of us. And and it's interesting to me that when we come to the leadership table, uh, that we're, that we're not necessarily always adapting. Uh, we're, we're simply, we're wanting to see things that we've always seen before and we're looking at them in ways, uh, as if they've never changed over time. Uh, and so that confirmation bias, we, we immediately reject anything we don't understand and we immediately gravitate toward things, uh, that affirm what we believe to be true, uh, without consideration for why they might be true in one scenario and not true in another and I, I just, I, I just wonder, you know, what is it asking us as leaders, or you know, what type of leader do we need to become in this new environment, and how, in fact, do we begin to have some real legitimate conversations that what we think are business processes are really baked into confirmation bias and could be potentially leading us astray and closing us off to the subtle cues that the marketplace is uh, is giving us. And I'm, I'm very concerned about that for organizations. They haven't seen it on the top line yet, so the pain isn't visible. But once the pain is visible, is can you recover from it? And that's mm-hmm. that's a real that's a real pain point that I think if we don't get our hands around this, uh, some organizations are going to get really surprised. Yeah, and I think the ability, I mean, just a really concrete, practical inventory is just to to look at the time I'm spending with my team, key stakeholders, and evaluating my my question to answer ratio. And so that that um, impulse to have an answer and give a reason for everything <laughs> needs to be um, uh, indicted. And a way forward would be how can I how can I scale up the questions I ask um, over the answers I give or the reasons I give for why this why this wouldn't work. This is exactly why descriptive data as a function is one third of the of the whole. You need prescriptive and predictive analytics as part of your. Uh, operations. You need to be exposed to new information on nearly a daily basis as a leader that and that informs your ability to either make the same decision again or make a new decision. Uh, this, you know, in, in my work, when I talk about full funnel accountability, how in fact do we move away from the sale all the way up to the point in which somebody presents themselves so that we can identify attributes, characteristics, behaviors, all of those things that demonstrate intent and propensity to 
to replicate what we've seen in past uh, sales trends. And if, in fact, we don't have good visibility from the top of the funnel to the mid funnel to the uh, conversion and even beyond that, we have no idea. We are literally rolling the dice around uh, sales, retention, onboarding, lifetime value, all of those kinds of things. But our, our, greater, our ability to have a greater sense of what's happening up the funnel allows us to much clearer adapt and much more concretely understand what might be changing about how people um, are, uh, you know, are, are buying. And, and I'll, I'll tell you a real practical example of this. It just irritated the snot out of me. You know, you, we, we all have these companies that come and, and do, do our service, our HVAC systems, uh, you know, twice a year, right? And so this particular company a few years ago, we've been doing business with them a long time. And, uh, and so they're clearly, all of them are moving to these, they're making these, you know, two visits a year, kind of a subscription model. And, uh, and they're trying to bake into that because, you know, their services business and they're trying to get recurring revenue and, uh, it's just where everybody's moving right now. So, you know, this company comes in, been doing business for a long time and they say, Hey, you know, uh, we're moving to a new thing and you get all of these new benefits. Um, you know, if, if you move on to this, this new deal and, Prior to that, I was just paying them, you know, I was just agreeing to those two things and, and paying them a sum. Um, and so in order to jump on this, though, I had to um, I had to subscribe in the way that they wanted me to subscribe, which was to pay monthly. Well, I prefer to just write a check for an annual fee. I mean, that's just, you know, it's less work for me. Uh, it's easier for me to see. It's how I budget all of that. And it just frustrated me that the only option that they had was uh, was for me to behave in a way that was consistent with what they believed to be true. So they were literally forcing me to do business business with them in a way that was their preference because it, I knew what it was doing. It was benefiting them. Now, the guy standing in front of me, he didn't understand that, but I knew exactly what they were doing. They wanted to be able to post monthly recurring revenue because that's what's going to drive valuation. Um, but the problem with that is, is that they weren't giving me space to interact with them in a way that was more consistent with my previous buying habits. So all of a sudden, they've reduced everything to one particular preferred model. And essentially, it became the only model because if I stayed on the current plan that I was on, not only did I lose the benefits, same money, by the way, same exact money. They were just forcing me to behave differently because it fit their worldview. And eventually that ultimately led uh, to me finding another option, somebody who was willing to allow me to, to write a single check and get the same level of benefit and same level of service um, in that. And I know that seems like an extreme example, um, but what's so frustrating to me is that, uh, is that we, we project onto our customers, clients, teams, whatever, what we believe to be true and never allow for that feedback to happen. Now, Nobody looked up in this very large HVAC company and said, oh, Ben Straub just bailed. Uh, there's got to be a problem in the system. I get it. But I guarantee you, I'm not the only one who was paying them for at least five years prior to that on an annual basis to do two different visits. And now that's a loss. So I bet if they did a closed loss analysis and started to segment that and realize that they lost good customers, not because we decided to no longer have an HVAC system, but because we chose not to move on to the constrained, defined and you know monthly system that they wanted us to be on, which was not changing service, it was just changing payment. 
uh, that they would have realized that. And but 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 they never I never got a phone call. Uh, you know, they, they never really, uh, you know, never really bothered to look at it. And I bet they have no idea what level of attrition that that single decision caused uh, in uh, in the process. And, and this is, I think, one of the unintended consequences of living with unchecked um, assumptions and, and, uh, and, you know, just an unchallenged, unchallenged uh, bias at the leadership table because we want it to do, we want it to, we want people to behave certain ways. We want business lines to develop in certain ways. And if they don't meet those, meet those expectations, they're wrong. It's never occurs to us that we might be wrong in that process. So I love the idea of arguing like you're right, listen like you're wrong, because I think what that allows us to do is to create what I talk about as a listening platform. Um, how, in fact, do we incorporate uh, how people are interacting with us, how, uh, how they're doing business with us, and then also what we know about them from third-party demographic data to be able to really integrate a full view of the individual and then allow us to be in a dynamic and responsive relationship with them. And the truth is that, that the greatest risk you have to your future success is your ability to stay engaged with your current customers. Yeah. Uh, and I really believe in 2021 retention and upgrade strategies are so huge, but confirmation bias is going to do what it's going to throw us back and hold us, you know, keep us holding on to things that might've been true pre pandemic, but people's assumptions have changed. Um, how much effort is going to be spent on getting people back into the dining room of restaurants instead of realizing that you could continue to iterate and perfect a order and go or a order and delivery service that could multiply your ability to generate um, profit. Uh, and uh, and it's, it's really remarkable. I was talking to uh, a, a restaurant that we frequent a lot as a family. We absolutely love it. And for a period of time, nobody could go to the restaurant and they figured out how to do uh, delivery and carry out in a, in an unbelievably masterful, masterful way. Um, and, it, and, and they talked about, you know, how profitable it was for them, but guess what? Now that things are loosening up and things, what, what are they concerned with? They're concerned with how do we get people back in the restaurant? How do we get and back it's like, to you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Um, it never, you know, instead of pressing in and saying, gosh, is there a both and here? Um, they immediately go, okay, we weathered that storm and at least it was profitable and it grew really fast and we made a lot of money doing that, but let's go back to what we know. And uh, instead of recognizing what's what's there and it's so unfortunate uh, and they're going to be really good people who have come across some really good ideas that they've seen as as interim solutions that really could have long term value. But because uh, they're bringing that limited view, they're never going to be open to anything else. Yeah, it's a challenge we all face. I mean, is keeping ourselves free from this confirmation bias. And it's particularly true even when we think we're running good tests, but then we quickly start telling us ourselves that, you know, these minor test results are the, the truth for the future. Rather than continually testing and learning, um, continually looking at the data and following, following the customer joy and delight. Um, and this is a challenge and it's, it's not a challenge we recognize once. It's a challenge that's before us every day. 
And it's why collaboration is so important. It's why um, psychological safety is so important. Um, and it's why, uh, as you spoke to earlier and we'll get to in future podcasts, uh, data architecture and um, having the ability to look at and interpret the data that is emerging from the customer experience is essential. I think you, what did you say? It's a third of the solution. Um, yeah, absolutely. So one, there's the challenge of building that out. Two, there's the challenge of interpreting it. But just building out some kind of data capture, data interpretation system um, for our business so that it can truly, the, the insights and applications can truly be data-driven, um, that's a, a challenge in and of itself. Well, you heard it here on the Velocity Factor podcast, straight from Daniel's mouth. Argue like you're right. Listen like you're wrong. That is that I'm never going to forget that statement, um, man. Uh, what a what a great uh, position and posture to be in. And I would love to see that uh, infiltrate how leaders interact with each other. And I think that can really help us move past the confirmation bias. So thanks, Daniel. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Velocity Factor podcast. When you achieve speed and direction in your leadership and organization, Velocity will carry you farther than you ever imagined and faster than you ever thought possible. Now that strategy delivered at the speed of change. Be sure to subscribe to email updates at thevelocityfactor.com.